Well, hey, uh, if you guys could, uh, could, could come in and, and find your seats, that would be great. We've got a great story this morning. Um, if, if this is your first time with us, let me just say welcome. Uh, we're so glad to have you with us this morning. Um, my name is Travis Hall. I'm one of the deacons here at Highland Gospel Community. And this morning, we're in Mark 5. And we're going to cover the first 20 verses. And, you know, we, we, we called this series that we're in this morning, When a King Stoops to Love. And, and as I look at this story, when I read this story, and I think about the title of this sermon series for the Gospel of Mark, there's probably no, well, there, this is probably one of the greatest examples of a king, of King Jesus stooping to love someone. So this morning we're going to be looking at the story of the demon-possessed man. And like all good stories, there's going to be two common themes that show up in our story today. And that's good and evil. So we have our two themes here. And, and, and so if you want to take a second, um, so I'm guessing a lot of you either read books, maybe you watch movies, you watch TV shows. And as you watch, if, as you watch or read any, any good story, there is, there is always some sort of good and evil that is taking place within that story. Um, you, you think of a popular movie trilogy like Star Wars. You have Luke Skywalker, who is the good guy, and you have Darth Vader, who is the bad guy. But if you've seen the films, you know it's a little bit more complicated than that. Um, or maybe, maybe you love the movie Billy Madison. Billy Madison's a great movie. Billy is the good guy, though flawed. Brian, he's the bad guy. And, and you see through, through all stories, there, there's these, you can think of different characters of good and bad in this this continual conflict, and most of us, when we read a book, we watch a show or a movie, are, we are hoping and waiting for the good guy to win. Like We just know it, it, it's coming because we have a natural desire to see good defeat evil. And when, when we really begin to talk about Jesus and we begin to talk about the Bible, we, we, we see a lot of this very similar. There's a good guy, Jesus, and then there's a bad guy, Satan. And we know that, that Jesus is going to win. Spoiler. Spoiler for this book. Jesus prevails. And so, so but our, we, we, we often fail, and, and we have a problem in our thinking that we often fail to see how our story is wrapped up in the story of the Bible. How our story is wrapped up in this battle between good and evil. And some of us are skeptics. So, so we, we don't really believe that there's a battle going on at all because this idea of angels and demons is, is crazy to us. It almost seems illogical. It seems primitive. And that's just something that Christians came up with a long time ago to make them feel better when bad things happen. For, other of, for others, though, and, th and this is, this is, a, this is the, the opposite end of the spectrum. We're on the end of the extreme that we are fanatics and obsessed with all things supernatural. So, so every few years, there's always that one guy who pops up and he's like, I figured out when the end times is coming and I can tell you when Jesus is coming back. This is the year. Uh, and, 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 you know, or there's the people, uh, I have a family member who a few years ago was serving and helping with homeless ministry, which is tremendous, um, but he started to read books on spiritual warfare and demonic oppression. 
And every time I'm around him, he's like, you know, there's probably a demon oppressing you right now. And I'm like, no, probably not. But, but for most of us, like myself, we probably fall into the middle. We probably are apathetic and we feel a bit detached from this. We nod our head to the story that we're going to read because we know it's true, but we're just an extra in this story that's not really affected by it. So my, my, my hope this morning is to make the case for the reality between the battle between good and evil and to show you that this story that we're going to look at in Mark 5 is really a snapshot of all of our stories. We are all captives to sin. But Jesus has the power and the authority to set us free. So, so our big idea is this today. If you leave here with one thing, I want you to leave here with this. Jesus has the authority and the power to set you free. And whether we realize it or not, there really is a battle going on between Jesus and these evil forces for your soul and for mine. But here's the good news. Here is the greatest news when it comes to this battle. It's not really a fair fight at all. And we know that. So if you, if you haven't had a chance, please open up to Mark 5. Um, and, and like we've said, Mark reads like a really, like a short newsreel. It's very quick. It's like Mark is rushing to the cross. It's the, it, we have short, quick stories that pack a very powerful punch. So if this is your first morning with us, the way we're going to do this, is, that we're going to study this story is really simple. We're going to walk through it verse by verse. I'm going to read a little bit, and I'm going to talk a little bit. And then, as, as we finish walking through this text, I, my, my hope this morning is to show you how this crazy graphic story and the reality it presents really matters to our lives. So I'm going to, I'm going to pray, and we're going to get going. Lord, we, we, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for another opportunity to gather as your body. And Lord, I do pray that, it, that we leave here this morning just knowing one thing, that the truest of freedom is found in you. That, that there is no freedom in our sin, there is no freedom in our shame, but there is freedom in you. And Lord, I pray this morning that I would just get out of the way that the words that I would speak would be your words and not mine. Because your words bring life. And Lord, I pray this morning, if there is hearts that need to be encouraged, oh, how I pray that they would be encouraged. But if there is hearts that need to be convicted, I pray that they will be convicted this morning. Lord, we give you this time. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So we're going to set the scene for our story here this morning in Mark 5 as we as we look at the demon-possessed man. So at this point in Jesus' ministry, in Jesus' life, he has been teaching and healing people, doing some pretty radical things. So these large crowds begin to follow him. So one night, Jesus and his disciples decide to leave the crowd, and they sail across the Sea of Galilee to the other side. This is the story that we heard last week. A great windstorm comes. The disciples panic and freak out. Jesus calms the storm with just his words. Peace, be still. And after he does this, the disciples are, again, they're freaked out because of what Jesus has just did. They begin to ask one another, 
Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? So here's where our story picks up today. And, and I want you to think about the emotions that the disciples must have been feeling in this moment. They've just come through the storm. They have just come through a near-death experience. They, 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 were, they were convinced that they were going to die. And, and, then, and then they survive it. And it's not because of anything they did. They didn't, they didn't row their way out of it. No, Jesus just calms the storm with his words. And I'm sure, I'm sure they had to be thinking, how on earth did he just do this? They probably were a bit on edge. So they finally see land here in verse 1, as we come to verse 1, and I'm sure they were relieved. They're like, man, we really, really made it out of that one. And then their feet touched the sand. They had no idea that another storm was right around the corner. And, it, and, it, what, and, 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 and it's, again, as soon as they step off the boat, a man starts running towards them and they're probably a little startled this is no ordinary man by the way he is coming from the tombs and he had an unclean spirit in him in other words he's a demon possessed individual i mean i'm sure at this point the disciples are like i'm getting back on the boat i will go through the storm again what what why do all these crazy things continue to happen like are you serious right now? And have you ever been in that type of situation? You get out of one storm, one difficult season, only to have another one right around the corner. Those moments where you're like, are you kidding me? I have. I'm sure we all can think of those moments. So now Mark's description of this of this. This, this, these next few verses is going to be very raw and very brutal. He, he describes in an incredibly dark scene with the shadow of death draped all over it. So if you grab your Bibles, we're going to pick it up in verse 3. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. So the words to, that, that are used to describe the condition of this demon-possessed man, man, they're heartbreaking. Like this, this hurts me to read this. This, this, this is sad. Because he has descended into a life of filth, a life of loneliness, and a life of terror. People feared him because of his strength, but they did not respect him. So, so one commentator said this, and I, and I think it's just astounding. So at some point, he had gotten to a level so low that he preferred the company of the dead instead of the company of the living. He preferred the company of the dead. So, so Jews would have viewed simply touching a dead body to be an act of great defilement. This man lived in a graveyard. Mark says that night and day, he shrieked, he cried out, he cut himself 
with stones to relieve himself of the torment that he was experiencing. So imagine if you were to see someone like this. If I'm honest, I would probably call the cops. I would feel uncomfortable. I'd say, hey, have him institutionalized because he's a danger. We would say he's a danger to himself. And I'm sure that Gerasenes probably felt the same way. So they tried to do what they could. They put, it, they put chains on him when he calmed down, but again and again, he'd snap and break loose of them. So they just gave up. They ignored him and left him to his life of pain. And the only place where he couldn't hurt anyone else, and this was the tombs. The truth is, in 2019, in Fort Wayne, we have people just like this in our city. It's possible that some of us who sit in this room this morning, we struggle with similar problems. We hear voices in our head. We, may, we maybe have a tendency to be violent. Maybe we cut ourselves. I don't, I don't know, but I'm saying that it, it's a very real possibility. Maybe we think that the only way that we can escape the torment that we're going through is to rid ourselves of this life. And we typically classify these people as depressed, schizophrenic, insane, and in some cases, not all, demon-possessed. Similar to the townspeople, we don't know what to do with them other than to try to subdue them. So, so we do our best to keep them from hurting themselves and others, but now we just have more advanced ways of handling this. We have psych wards. We have institutions with rooms and padded walls. And I am by no means a, a clinical specialist or a doctor. You can ask my wife at the any sign of blood, throw up, and heaven forbid I ever hear a breaking bone, I'm out. I'm like, see you later. If it's my wife, I'll help. I'll probably get queasy, but I just, I, I freak out at stuff like that. So, so I don't want to go too far and overstep my knowledge. I'm a guy with a high school diploma who works in a machine shop. I'm not a medical doctor. I can put a Band-Aid on you. But anyways, I truly believe that we need to treat these people, these individuals, very holistically. That, that using counseling and medicine as needed. These are incredible things that the Lord has given us to use. But medicine can subdue and counseling can make us think more rightly, but only Jesus can make us whole. Only Jesus can make an individual whole. You see, Mark is trying to graphically show us the same thing. He is trying to show us the futility of man to help this demonic. No one could subdue him, help him, free him from this demonic oppression that he was experiencing. No one until the day he looked out on the water and saw a boat coming in. And from that boat, his deliverer, deliverer would emerge to do no, what no one else could do, to set him free. Look at verse 6. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. 
This, this demon-possessed man never had seen anyone in his life who could heal him, and yet when he saw Jesus step off the boat, he knew that somehow this man could help. So he ran to him. He knelt down before him. And this is what people do. This is what we did. Those who call themselves believers in Christ. This is what we do when we see Jesus for who he really is. We run to him and we, and we, and we surrender our lives to him. And for some of you, the only reason this morning that you have not surrendered your life to Jesus is because you really haven't seen him for who he truly is. Because when you do, if you have, you will run to him, surrendering your entire life to him, kneeling before the king. And maybe some of you have seen him as a good moral teacher, a good man, but you have yet to ascribe the right kind of authority to him. Let's look at verse 7. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send him send them out of the country. So at this point, we, we, we know the condition of the man and the effects that the demons have at, had on him. But then Jesus shows up and everything is about to change. It, it seems that in verse 7, a shift takes place. And, and most scholars agree that the demons themselves began speaking through the man in verse 7. And what these demons say and what these demons know is very fascinating. These demons know three things about Jesus. The first thing that they know is this. They know his identity. Do you notice that in verse 7? They call him Jesus, the Son of the Most High God. While the disciples are questioning Jesus' true identity in Mark 4, while Jesus' disciples still don't know who he truly is, the demons have no confusion at all about who Jesus is. They know who this is. This is the Son of the Most High God. And yet they still rebel against him. And this is a, a bit of a staggering reminder to us. You see, we can know who Jesus is without actually knowing him. Because knowing him involves having a very deep, intimate communion relationship with him, interacting with him, trusting him, and experiencing his love, mercy, and grace. So memorizing facts, titles, memorizing scripture... That's not what Jesus has called us to do. And here's another thing. The Lord is not impressed with our book smarts. You say smart things about the Lord. You know all these things about Jesus. 
So do the demons. If your knowledge of the Lord has not led to a changed life, a changed heart, you're no better off than the demons. So these demons not only knew who Jesus was, they knew a second thing. They know his power. The demon refers to themselves as legion. So I did do a quick Google search to figure out what that meant. Um, a legion was a unit of Romans, Roman soldiers, and most scholars agree that, that this meant that there were about 6,000 demons oppressing this man. That's, that is crazy. That is a whole lot of power going on. And, and, and we see this power on display earlier. The, 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 this man was breaking shackles. So these demons had truly dehumanized this man. And yet, these same demons plead for mercy from Jesus, begging him not to torment them. Listen, there is no reason to fear if you are more powerful than your enemy. That's what we see here. A weak, a defeated enemy begging for mercy because he knows that he has no chance to win. The demons clearly knew who Jesus is and that he has more power than they do. They also know this third thing. They know his authority. You see, they realize they have to ask Jesus' permission. In verse 7, they cried out, requesting that he not torment them. In verse 10, they begged him not to send them to another country. You don't ask permission to someone who is your equal. But these demons are not equal with Jesus. They realized that Jesus was their authority, so they had to ask permission. And in verse 8, you see that Jesus knows he is their authority too. He's not sweating these 6,000 demons. He doesn't ask. He commands the demons to come out of the man. And we, we have all kinds of descriptions of how to cast out demons and deal with evil spirits throughout the history of man. But there is absolutely nothing else like this in ancient literature. You see, every time someone tries to call out a demon, they always call on a higher power. And it's comedic that the demons even try to do this. And in and, 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 and verse 7, they said, I adjure you by God. And, 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 then, and then in this exorcism, by the way, there, there's no long spells, there's no silly incantations. Just like the storm, Jesus just says a word. Because he is the only one who does not have to evoke a higher power because he's the higher power. Colossians 1.16 says this, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Even these demons were made through and for Jesus. Though they rebel, though they cannot go anywhere or do anything without his permission, Jesus is not only the Lord of these demons, but he's the Lord of all. And we must believe this with a firm conviction. 
we, that there is absolutely nothing that exists that is not under the authority of Jesus. There is no man, woman, or child, Muslim, Hindu, ruler, president, no one, angel, demon, or devon, devon, devil. Man, some of you are going to think I think people named Devon are now the devil. That's not true. <laughs> but there is absolutely nothing that is not inferior or under the authority of Jesus. And God may allow you, the Lord may allow you for a time and for a season, he may allow you to live your life apart from his lordship. But Jesus will make all things new. And he will bring all things under his feet one day. So the demons know Jesus' identity, power, and authority, and, and they still rebel. Let's pick it up in verse 11. This is, this is, so, this is the, probably one of the funnest parts of this story, by the way. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. So, so you have 2,000 pigs, and this is, a, this is a crazy story. You have these 2,000 pigs, and I'm sure, I'm sure there was a great smell, and I'm sure there was tons of chaos. And, 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 I, and I'm reading this, I'm like, what is up with these pigs? It's really weird. Like, let's just acknowledge that, that it's weird. So, but it's also not something that you're just going to make up. So, so the consensus is this, in my studying is this, is that this really happened the way they said it did. But beyond the reality of this event, scholars are all over the place with why it happened that exact way. Maybe it was to give confidence to the man that these demons were never going to come back. What is clear, though, is this, that these demons' purpose was to destroy what these 6,000 demons couldn't do to a man was easily taken care of as they entered the pigs. Now, while modern readers and PETA supporters, uh, they're probably going to think, man, those poor little pigs. You know? But the, the, the townspeople were thinking a little bit differently. Let's pick it up in verse 14. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what is it that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man who had, who had had the legion sitting there clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to, to depart from their region. So the people come to see this man, and they, what they find is a miracle. It's an absolute miracle. This man was once running, naked, screaming, crying out for relief, is now sitting, clothed, which is really good, and best of all, he's in his right mind. 
What no shackles could bind, a Savior now unbound. This man was truly finally set free. So did, did, did revival break out? Did everyone celebrate? Were, were many added to the kingdom? No. These people were terrified. It, it's the same way, just like last week in the story of the storm. Jesus calms the storm, and his disciples are afraid. See, when, when, when people see the power of Jesus, they just don't know what to do with it. They don't know how to respond to it. The townspeople's reaction to the delivery of this man is no different. 2,000 pigs just died. I'm sure they're a little afraid for their wallets. I mean, that's a whole lot of bacon. Like, all that bacon's gone. But here's the bigger issue. They feared the one who could cast out a demon by his word. I mean, they're probably like, what else can this Jesus do? If he can change a man like that, what might he do to me? They were afraid of his power. They were afraid of his authority. They didn't understand him, but they knew they could not control him. So in some of the saddest words in all of the Bible, they ask him to leave. Let's pick it up in verse 18. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with the demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the in Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. So the townspeople, they begged Jesus to leave, but the, the, the man who is no longer demon-possessed begs and pleads to, to remain with Jesus, to be with Jesus. And, and it's, it's, it's not hard to imagine this man was probably in line with the disciples just getting, getting ready to get on the boat. And he's probably saying, what you did for me, Jesus, I want to go with you. I, I don't want to stay with these people anymore. The demons asked that you go into the pigs and you permitted it. The greedy townspeople asked you to leave, so you did. But, if, if, but, if, but I ask if I can stay with you and you say no? What if I'm not strong enough by myself? What if the demons come back? This all happened so quickly. But Jesus didn't permit him to go. Because Jesus had something better for him. Jesus has a special assignment for this man. He had a mission to invite this man into. Simply go and tell others what I, the Lord, have done for you. Start in your home. Tell your friends. Tell your family. Tell them that the mercy that I had on you. Just give your testimony. You were once lost, but now you have been found. You were once a slave to Satan, but now you are a servant of the Son of God. The Gerasenes might not have wanted Jesus to stay, but he would not leave them without a witness. The man who was once longing for freedom himself was now to go out as an ambassador, as a 
representative as a fighter for the freedom of others. And unlike most of us, most of us Christians, if we're honest with ourselves, he did not argue. He did not complain or make excuses. He went and did exactly what Jesus had called him to do. He stayed, he proclaimed, and people marveled. And it appears to be effective because, because the next time Jesus returns to Decapolis, he had to do a miracle to feed all the people who came to him. We praise God for this life transformed by the gospel. So now we've reached the end of our story, and you're probably thinking a couple of things. I'm really hungry. I hope he's going to land this thing and send us home. Or you might be thinking, that was really great, but why why are you telling me this? And those are both great questions. We, 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 we've seen that Mark's primary purpose in this writing, in writing us this story, is to show us the power and authority of Jesus to set people free. So we're going to spend the rest of our brief time this morning together, and, I, and I'm hoping to show you and give you a snapshot of how this is a snapshot of all our stories. How this story intertwines with our story. And how it gives us, gives us three promises that should affect our lives this morning. The first promise is this. Jesus can save anyone. To the watching world, the demon-possessed man was unstable with no hope. He was mentally, physically, and spiritually gone. This was what we would call a person who is beyond repair, a broken person. But our God loves the unlovable, and he is in the business of saving the unsavable. See, the Lord goes after people who are bound in chains, who are oppressed by the enemy, and is isolated from the love of community. And he unbounds the chains. He defeats the enemy with just the sound of his voice and adopts those into his family. For those of you this morning who think you are too far gone for Jesus to save, the reason he came to this earth to begin with was to save people like you, to save people like me. I was once a person who thought I was too far gone. But Jesus showed up and proved that that whole thought wrong. If you don't know Jesus this morning, I want you to know this. Jesus loves you. And He is ready to set you free. And the cost that He is willing to make, and, and so what is the cost that He is willing to make it happen? He crossed the Sea of Galilee when He knew there was going to be a storm to get to one guy. One tormented man that he would deliver. But Jesus will go even further for you and me. Here's a spoiler to this whole book. Just going to spoil the whole thing for you. He eventually trades places with the demon-possessed man, the unclean ones, the unslaves, with you and me. And you might remember this story. Jesus is naked and stripped of his clothing. He is crying out and bleeding. He is driven to the tomb. And though it seems he has been defeated for a moment, three days later, guess what? He rises again in power. 
He, de- he is defeating death and sin. He absorbs evil into Himself. He died on the cross so one day that, that He could wipe out evil without wiping out us. That's true power. That is true authority and that is incredible mercy. There are some of you here this morning who don't think you are as bad as this guy was though. Who probably don't even think you are as bad as me if you know my story. You know that you needed Jesus to save you. You're thankful that he died on the cross. And you're, hey, I wasn't living in the graveyard. I was living in the, uh, the Awana room. I don't know. You're, you, maybe you grew up in the church and you can recite all this stuff. But Ephesians 2 is a startling reminder, a stunning reminder of all our conditions prior to conversion. We're going to pick it up in verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So every single one of us had this broken condition before we met Jesus. We were living, we might as well have been living in the graveyard. We were enslaved by Satan and his demons, bound by the chains of our sin. But just like the demon-possessed man, if you are in Christ, one day you met your deliverer. We're going to pick it up in verse 4. And there, it's on the screen, by the way, if you haven't figured that out. Um, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he had loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. If you have been saved by grace this morning, this is your story. You were broken. You were unsavable. I was broken. I was unsavable. But, but Jesus ran to us. He pursued us. He made us physically, spiritually, and emotionally whole. He took the unclean and made it clean. And that is an incredible picture of the power and the authority of Jesus saving you and me. A power and authority that is not used to oppress his followers, but to set them free. So this morning, if you're here, and I would be remiss to think that that everyone in this room is saved. If you have not experienced the true love and freedom that comes from Jesus, I'm just asking you to come down here this morning after we're done. Talk to me. There'll be a couple elders up here. Talk to someone. Please do not leave here today without talking to someone. So the first promise is this, that Jesus can save anyone. The second promise is this, Jesus can conquer any evil. So this man was possessed by 6,000 demons. He cut himself, he beat himself. And I believe, reading this text, he was trying to commit suicide. Because it's the only way he thought he could escape his hopeless life. And yet, there entered into his life a way to to true freedom. A person. Hope in the flesh. Jesus Christ comes to deliver this man. 
to set him free. He won the battle for this man's soul. But later in the book of Mark, this ultimate defeat of evil would occur, will occur. Through his death and resurrection, Jesus put Satan and his demons to open shame. He showed every, he's going to show everyone just how weak they are. Yes, Satan and his demons continue to rebel against Jesus. Yes, there is still sin and evil in this world. It's very present on our minds this morning. But when Jesus returns, he will finally, finally defeat sin and evil and the brokenness in this world. So today, no matter how bad or how deep you feel enslaved to your sin, you can find hope. If you are in Christ, Romans 6 reminds us that we are no longer slaves to sin, but instead we are slaves to righteousness. So I'm going to get really raw and real here for a second. Maybe you're struggling this morning with suicidal thoughts. Maybe you're struggling with depression anxiety, lying, some sort of addiction. Maybe you have an addiction to pornography. You can find freedom this morning. Because of the resurrection, because of Christ raising from the grave, you are no longer enslaved to your sins. So run to Him. Trust that He has the power and the authority to set you free. Because He can, and one day He will. So we see that Jesus can save anyone, that He can conquer any evil. And this third promise, I believe, is this. Jesus will use your story. Jesus sets this demon-possessed man free And then he sent him out on a mission. So he's a new man on a new mission. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So he saves him and he sends him. There's no three-year discipleship program. There's no, hey, we're going to need you to spend about $100,000 and go to seminary. I don't know if that's how much seminary costs, just a figure. He didn't say, hey, we're going to have you hang out with seasoned believers. They're going to teach you how to evangelize and strap sandwich boards on yourself. No, he saves him and sends him. He saved him and sent him to go share what the Lord had done for him to his friends and family. So we, we, we like to throw this word revival out a lot. We, we hear revival. I want to see revival. Here's, here's how you're going to see revival. How about you and me going out, telling people about the mercy that Jesus has shown to us? So you might be saying, well, that's easy for him to do because his story is so dramatic. I don't have a dramatic story like that. Here's what I want you to know this morning. That your story exceeds his story because his story takes place prior to the cross. Can you throw that slide up there? So check it out. Here's his story. Here's the cross and here's your story. It's after the cross because you are telling a better story. You are telling the story of the Son of God who died for our sins. You are telling the story of the Son of God who satisfied the wrath of God. You are telling the story of the finished work on the cross that ensures our salvation 
of, and forgiveness of sins. We are telling the story of the Son of God who triumphed over the devil and his demons, who, ra- who, who God raised from the dead. You are more aware in this moment, right now, about what the Lord did for you than what the demon-possessed man knew when he went out to share. You were so much more aware. So I have a question for you. Is there anyone in your life who does not know what the Lord has done for you? Worship team, you can come back up. Is there anyone in your life who does not know what the Lord has done for you? Are there people in your life who need to hear your story? Who need Jesus? There are in mine. So here's what I want us to do this week if you're in a community group. I want you to talk about this in your community groups. The people that you want to see saved, that you want to see come to Jesus. And if you've got people who need Jesus, guess what? You've got work to do. I've got work to do. So go and share what the Lord has done in your life. Share how He has shown you mercy. Share how He has shown you such sweet grace. Grace that you didn't deserve, that I didn't deserve. The reality of evil is very present in our minds this morning. We think of New Zealand. But I also think of some of the laws that we've been passing in regards to abortion here in our own country. That's evil. No way way around it. It's evil and it's nasty. But even with all that, even with all that evil, we have hope. Because Jesus can and will triumph over any and all evil. And one day he will return and do just that. Jesus triumphed over evil at the cross. He has the power and authority to set you free. So run to him. Fall before him. Trust him. And tell others. Man, do not, do not keep your story for yourself. Tell others what the Lord has done for you. Let's pray. God, we thank you today that in your incredible grace, no matter what evil we are experiencing or feel like we're enslaved to, that we have a Savior who is better. Lord, that we were, when we were dead in our trespasses, running towards the evil of this world, you showed up, and you showed up in rich mercy and offered us an opportunity to receive freedom. Freedom that was found in your Son, Jesus. Lord, each of us today can experience that freedom. Whether we're a believer who is struggling with sin or whether we aren't a believer at all, Lord, we can find freedom, and we find that freedom in your Son, Jesus. I pray today that if there was no one here, if there was someone here who doesn't know that this morning, that they would leave here knowing you, that they would leave here different. Lord, I pray that that we would walk in your freedom today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. We're going to stand and sing. We're going to declare this truth. That the Lord is mighty to save. That the Lord 
is mighty to save. 